1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
0: This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week... Tales of Cornwall, with author Lucy Wood and her collection of short stories, The Sing of the Shore. Lucy Wood is the critically acclaimed author of Diving Bells, a collection of short stories based on Cornish folklore, and Weathering, a debut novel about mothers, daughters and ghosts. She has been longlisted for the Dublin Literary Award and the Dylan Thomas Prize, shortlisted for the Edge Hill Prize, and was runner-up in the BBC National Short Story Award. She has also received a Betty Trask Award, a Somerset Maugham Award, and the Hollyer Ann Gough Award. Weathering was named one of the New York Times' 100 Notable Books of 2016. And Lucy's latest collection of stories is The Sing of the Shore, which we're going to be talking about today. Lucy, welcome to Little Atoms. Hi, thanks for having me. So describe The Sing of the Shore for me first of all.
1: The Sing of the Shore is a collection of short stories set in North Cornwall, and it explores things like home, belonging, landscape, um, and more particularly, ghosts and hauntings.
0: And so the title, The Sing of the Shore, is the title of one of the stories, but it's also a phenomenon which you sort of explain at the beginning of the book, but also it resonates through most of the stories, the idea behind that title. Tell me what it means.
1: Shall I read out the... Yes. So The Sing of the Shore is the sound made by waves breaking, varying with the nature of the shore, sand, pebbles, boulders, scarped cliff or reefs and ledges of rock, and thus giving the experienced fisherman an indication of his position when fog or darkness make land invisible and that's from a glossary of Cornish sea words by Robert Morton Nance and basically for me that phrase means that it's the idea of home and knowing where you are Um, so in the dark fishermen um, could tell exactly where they were because they knew this place so well so by the sound of um, how the waves are breaking so it kind of for me summed up um all the themes I really wanted to talk about in the collection like home, belonging, landscape, what it means to feel like like you know where you are.
0: Well it's interesting to hear you describe it in those terms because throughout the book there's often this mysterious noise that sort of gives a lot of the stories a sort you know a sort of underlying mystery. People can hear either noises, it might be noises unrelated to the sea, it might be they can hear voices next door or it might be that there's this you know mysterious noise that's the sound of the waves in caves underneath but often it just gives this sort of underlying tension not a comfort of home but a sort of tension that the landscape is weird
1: yeah i think that's i'm glad you got that because that's really what i wanted to try and do um particularly with the idea of ghosts and hauntings it's these strange uncanny um kind of things that are lurking sort of beyond the landscape um, for example in one of the stories somebody starts hearing these huge undersea cables that come in under the beaches in the local area and becomes sort of obsessed, so so obsessed with the idea of them that he really thinks he, that he can hear them and starts digging down to try and find them. So it's kind of those tensions in the landscape. It's this beautiful, very isolated kind of place um, in North Cornwall, and yet you have these huge cables coming in under the sea, bringing financial data for America and so it was those kind of tensions that I wanted to explore.
0: This is not a a Cornwall of summer holidays and nor is it even really a sort of Daphne de Moria esque sort of like haunted mysterious cornwall. This is a cornwall of the off season And most of the characters in this book are, you know, experiencing some sort of hardship or poverty or something. Why did you want to write about that side of the county?
1: I think I just wanted to portray a more realist kind of um, version of Cornwall, maybe. Because I I live there, so I see it in the off-season. I see it in the winter when the houses are empty, um, when, you know, when the holiday homes are empty and everybody goes home. For me as a writer, that's the most interesting point to write about, to do with Cornwall, really.
0: Having said that, though, you do write about the landscape and the coast particularly. So tell us, describe that particular Cornish landscape for for anybody that's listening that is not familiar with it.
1: Well, different parts of Cornwall are quite different. um, But where I live is kind of the very far north of North Cornwall, um, which is very isolated and rural. um, Very high cliffs, huge seas, huge waves, lots of storms, particularly last winter. But it's a very beautiful place with wildflowers, lots of birds and wildlife, dolphins, seals. Um, But behind that beauty, you have these really interesting other kind of things lurking, as well as the cables that I talked about just now. There are um, satellite dishes perched on the cliffs and static caravans. So it's these kind of... Yeah, there's an interesting point of um, conflict there within the landscape.
0: In the stories, you use... Multiple perspectives, so there's stories told in the first person and in the third person and one in particular in the second person. which of those registers do you prefer do you think
1: I think I like all of them in different ways, to be honest because that so that's why I decided to um use all all the different um points of view. I think they work particularly well for the different type of storytelling that you're doing within each story, so There's a lot of kind of stories of gossip and told stories, so I kind of would use a different register for that. Or then if I wanted to really get into a character's head, maybe would use more of the first person or maybe the third person dominant perception to get into their thoughts. So I kind of wanted to um, use a range of different techniques to kind of try and get this sense of gossip and community and storytelling across.
0: These stories, while all set or in the main set in Cornwall, are not necessarily linked there are some shared characters or mentions of of events perhaps but what they have more than being linked stories is you use repetition a lot and there's a there's some stories which in in the second part of the show we'll talk more about some of the stories in particular but you use sort of repetition of language repeated events tell me about that do you mean
1: repeated within a particular story you use repetition, or from story to then another story repeats?
0: Well, I think both. I think um, the one I'm particularly th- I'm thinking of particularly, of course, is the story one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Which, well, we may as well just just talk about that. <laughs> like I said I want to talk about stories in in more depth. We may as well talk about that one, where very particularly as as a matter of style, you use repetition of language, but also you know the events that are happening the the beats of the story happen over and over again the sounds that she hears tell us something about that story yeah
1: that story is basically quite a short um story about a woman who is just walking almost in circles um trying to get back home we don't know how long she's been away um we're not sure where she's been but she just wants to get back to somewhere but she's just constantly thwarted basically by um, a group of cows who kind of block her way, and she just can't ever get back and there's repeated kind of phrases like um, "A gunshot goes off in the distance," and kind of I don't know, other mechanical noises and things. And I think the idea of that story was, first of all, to kind of try and explore a kind of, again, an unpastoral kind of version of the countryside, um, where you hear gunshots you hear. Chainsaws and, you know, things like that. But also to just explore the idea of the idea of home and how, if you've been away for a long time from a particular place, how easy is it to access that place again? How easy is it really to get back to what you remember? So, in a way, that woman, perhaps she's a ghost even, is just circling and circling constantly, trying to get back. So the repetition hopefully tries to enact what I'm trying to talk about in the story
0: let's perhaps you talk about the the use of the repeat well there's two stories in particular but I think also mentioned at least another one of two characters Fran and Maury. yeah tell me about them too.
1: basically they're kind of gossips um who sit around talking about people and things that have happened in the town so I have a couple of stories um, one of them is the cable story that we talked about just earlier and another one is about a sort of haunting in a um, in a second home in a in a holiday home and they also crop up in some of the other stories as sort of a group of gossips who tell characters other pieces of information and they were characters that I just I wanted to explore that sense of kind of yeah gossip storytelling really the idea of what stories mean how people tell them um and i like the fact that they crop up and recur throughout the story because in a sort of in a small town if that's what would happen they would be the ones that have that you know juicy piece of information
0: and both of those stories they're they're very heavily dialogue based because obviously it's about these two people yeah. gossiping with each other and that means you know almost the entire story is told through them and again there's they sort of like repeat each other's sentences and things i guess so again that sort of idea of of repetition comes up tell me something about writing in that register of just using the dialogue yeah
1: I'd never done it before actually so it was kind of an experiment for me as well um, I was really uh, interested in the idea of how to write very short stories set basically told in dialogue um, it's almost a challenge that I set myself and yeah I did I found it quite difficult actually at first to kind of try and get the story told just in dialogue because i'm much more of a descriptive writer but yeah it was just it was interesting to kind of try and pay attention to the quirks of speech when you actually hear what people say people repeat a lot kind of go over what somebody else has already said and build on that or maybe not build on it go backwards so i was trying to kind of play off those kind of patterns of speech
0: let's talk about perhaps in general terms how these stories in this collection came about over what sort of particular period of time they were written why you chose these particular characters
1: um i guess probably the collection was written over a year and a half and previous book had been a novel based in um, a river valley in devon and um i just wanted to write something based in landscape again um but going back to cornwall where i grew up And just do something slightly different, just have these a few kind of more playful, um, shorter, more kind of community, again, community based kind of storytelling style stories and kind of push myself further to kind of talk about different things in a way.
0: And you've already mentioned it, but let's just mention something about the use of the, you know, the mysterious and the uncanny in this book again it's often I can think of you know one particular incident where you sort of turn the idea of a you know a sort of haunted house on its on its head a little bit um, these are more stories that are set in the everyday but they do also as you've said some of them have a sort of if not quite a supernatural but like a sort of certainly a mysterious undercurrent to them
1: yeah um, I'm always interested in writing about uncanny strange things happening um, but ones that are rooted in everyday life that kind of try and um, give a twist on reality in some way. And I think was a really interesting place to write about in terms of hauntings, not your stereotypical ghost, but the idea of hauntings, because as we talked about before in the winter, lots of houses are empty, there's no lights, everybody leaves... People sort of, locals even maybe, will work in the summer and leave in the winter. So there's lots of comings and goings. There's lots of shifting around. Also, in one of the stories called Flotsam Jetsam Lag and Derelict, a woman's haunted by plastics and things that wash up on the beach. And, you know, when you start walking along the beach and you think Cornwall's a place to escape um, from the world, maybe, and then you see all these things floating in that remind you of what's going on in the world, of other places in the world, you can imagine that if you took that a step further how much that would haunt you and play on your mind so i just found wanted to find these little points of interest in cornwall that related to the idea of ghosts and hauntings um and kind of use that uncanniness to draw out a really interesting well you know different aspects of of cornwall that maybe people haven't thought of before
0: you're listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Lucy Wood. We're talking about her latest story collection, which is The Sing of the Shore. And Lucy had just mentioned empty houses, and I want to look at some of the stories in the book slightly more closely now. And the first one was the first story, Home Scar, which is, again, the idea of the off-season in Cornwall, these holiday homes that have been left empty and a bunch of young children invade one of the houses. Tell us something about that story.
1: Yeah, so they're a group of children on a sort of half-term break or something, and they're bored, and as a routine thing that they do in their free time, they go around and let themselves into these empty um, houses. They have a sort of pattern that they follow um, of houses that they, they go around. Um, but this time, most of them are full of people um, actually staying, so they go into a new a new empty house that they haven't been in before Um, and again talking about the idea of how to use ghosts for me in that story the children are the ghosts the children are haunting these empty houses they're the ones that have almost been left behind who are you know kind of maybe stuck but maybe not it depends how you read the story but they're the ones left in the place when everybody else leaves and just kind of trying to explore what that might mean
0: Um, so then i wanted to talk about the story salt house which is basically features two teenage girls and these are basically i guess at a point where they're they're just changing from you know being children into young womanhood and their sort of like friendship is being sort of put under test at this point tell us about this story
1: um yeah so this story is about as you say, two sort of almost teenage girls and they spend a night at a fairground. But one of the girls, the main character, what they're meant to be doing is their tradition of um, taking their old Christmas tree which is kind of just a husk, a dried Christmas tree by now, and burying it in the sand dunes um, to stop the sand dunes moving and shifting and eroding. So is that a thing that happens? It does, yeah. People do that um, in my local town, you know, in other places in Cornwall because it holds the sand in place. And I really like that image of kind of trying to keep change at bay um, and how much that's possible. And so that kind of became... Um, The Christmas trees in the sand sort of became an image of these two girls trying. Well, particularly the main character fighting against change, but knowing it isn't—it's inevitable, really—that she and her friend perhaps are going to grow apart. That they're actually very different. They're growing up at different speeds.
0: Um, And then I wanted to talk about the life of a wave, which is a story. It's a story that's the one that's told in this in the second person actually at the beginning from the perspective of a baby as well yeah. which is which is interesting and then follows uh, the life of that baby and his relationship with his father um over the years and but also you sort of parallel that with you know little inserts about literally about the life of a wave about you know how a wave starts and ends um tell me about tell me something about that story
1: um that story came back because I really wanted to write about surfing because surfing is such a huge cultural part of Cornwall um I really wanted to try and try and write about it in some way and again thinking about these ideas of ghosts and hauntings and how could I kind of draw um those ideas into a story about surfing thinking about how um I don't surf myself but people who I know who surf it feels like a different world when they're out there floating waiting for a wave like the real world is you know long gone long behind them and also when you surf you can't go whenever you want because the tides and everything has to kind of converge into the right conditions for surfing so when they happen you really want to just go straight away and almost maybe drop whatever you're doing in in life and just go Um, which I found really interesting, the idea of all these people out there floating, waiting for waves. It's just a really lovely, lovely image. And, yeah, so as you say, it kind of follows a boy from being a baby through to kind of mid-twenties and his relationship with his father, and it's coupled with descriptions of a wave growing and then peaking and then toppling over on itself and trying to kind of... um, find ways to echo family relationships within the structure of a wave.
0: The father in this story, I was reminded in a small way of going back to the first story, and Ivor, the boy's father, who we see him, he's attempting to mend a bike and then sort of gives up on it. And there's a sort of, there's a I guess, a, a certain view of masculinity, of a sort of fatherhood through a number of these stories, isn't there?
1: Um, I, I think in this I really wanted to um, write about fathers because in my for, in my novel i it was all about mothers and daughters so I think just in terms of um, stylistically I wanted to do something different and yeah in Ivor and his father are, his father's a young single father and he's just really struggling um, because they don't have much money and they keep having to move because you know they're renting and they get kicked out and things like that and I just wanted to explore what it would mean to be a young um, kind of single parent in Cornwall. And he tries really hard in so many different jobs and none of them quite ever work out for him. And, and it, they're always on the verge of perhaps having to leave. That's the tension there. Like, if he can't, if his father can't make it work, they're going to have to leave. And at the same time, Ivor's going into these houses where people seem to have very perfect lives because they're these lovely holiday homes where there isn't really much stuff there's no mess and he kind of compares that with his own life um in some ways and yeah and that kind of generates the drama in the story
0: and then just just one more i wanted to talk about the last story in the collection by the wind sailors which is sort of contrasted with how you've just described the the family relationship in the first story and that this is a it's a story of a homeless family sort of uncomplainingly moving between all of these terrible accommodations. <laughs> and um, and yet this is a very tightly knit group. This seems to be, though, as I said, they're uncomplaining. They're saying, basically, well, it could always be worse. And yet they seem a very tight unit within themselves.
1: Yeah, I mean, that story came about because, well, you see families, you know, around Cornwall moving from place to place, inhabiting these kind of half kind of empty places that... Um, you know, for different periods of time and then having to move on um, because it's so difficult to find somewhere permanent to live. And I wanted the idea that, not necessarily that they're ghosts, but that ghostliness of um, having not quite got enough roots to kind of stay in one particular place. Or, but they have, as you say, they've, they're a tight-knit group, they've got each other, and they just move and try and make the best of each place that they go to, and they kind of circle round Going from place to place, and um yeah never ever never quite managed to find um somewhere permanent
0: it's interesting you describe them almost as ghosts because they even you know they sort of tidy up behind themselves as well when they leave they yeah don't which is leave what you anything do, behind. which is yeah. what you
1: do when you move out of a rented house you know you have to you have to leave it as you found it, you have to erase every trace of yourself that 's what you end up doing when you move
0: can I get you to read? some of one of the stories for us
1: yeah sure so this is the beginning of the sing of the shore he'd been driving all day and his eyes were dry his shoulders crackling like pipes three hours maybe four that's how long he thought it would take but he'd been driving for over eight the roads had narrowed the closer he got and now they were single track with clumps of grass down the middle and flanked by bulky hedges beyond them were ridged fields pylons a few barns with collapsed roofs, the wet wind dousing everything. The road turned stony. Potholes made the car jump. The road narrowed again, and Bryce stopped, tried to see where he was, then kept going. He was sure he'd missed it. Nothing around here looked exactly as he remembered. That farmhouse wasn't there before, was it? And that dark mass of trees? He stopped again and got out. Daffodils lit the bank like torches, He climbed up and looked over, could just glimpse the sea at the bottom of the fields. He stood there for a long time. There was the same old wind above and the same old waves below, knuckling together like they were shaping loaves of bread. He drove forward again, then stopped suddenly at a gate, which was open and hanging off its hinges. He turned in and parked on the long grass. There were the campsite's corrugated huts, The kitchen, the laundry, the shower block. There was the office, a caravan at the bottom of the slope, and the swing, but it was all rusted out, overgrown, and one of the swing's chains had snapped. There was no one around. It was early spring, and there should have been people staying by now. The fields scattered with tents and campfires, the roar of gas from stoves. He took his bag out and crossed over to the bungalow to find Kenza. "'Skylarks rose up from the grass, their songs tangling together. "'He could smell clover, gorse, "'the mucky, shitty smell from the next field over. "'A tractor was ploughing in the distance, "'girls following behind like a reel of cotton unspooling. "'He was almost at the house when he looked up "'and saw a woman standing in the window, talking on a phone. "'He was about to wave, then stopped, "'almost stumbling in the furrowed mud. "'It wasn't his sister.' He turned and scanned the fields, then turned back to the house. The woman was staring at him and pointing at something over his shoulder. It took him a moment to realize that she meant the caravan. He nodded, pulled his bag higher onto his shoulder, and made his way down the slope. There was a low sound coming from somewhere, almost too low to notice. The further down the field he went, the louder it got. It was a sort of booming. He stopped and looked around but couldn't see anything. It wasn't the waves. He could hear those breaking slowly against the rocks. This was deeper, more like an echo, or a murmur behind a wall. He kept going through the long grass. After a while, he told himself he couldn't hear it any more. The caravan's door was shut, and there were curtains across the windows. He went up the step and knocked. He waited a moment, then knocked again, and when there was no answer, he pushed gently on the door. Inside, the room was cramped and stale. He was expecting the desk and the swivel chair, but there was also a mattress on the floor with a blanket on it, he recognised. There was a gas heater and a pan on the hob. Kenza must have rigged the caravan up to the mains because the fridge under the sink was humming, but there was a dim lamp in the corner. He put his bag down and went over to the desk. All the office stuff was there, the money box, the check-in forms, the accounts book, He opened the accounts and looked at the figures. They were low. No one had stayed over the winter, hardly anyone the summer before. There were no bookings for the months coming up either. There was a noise outside and suddenly Kenza was in the doorway. They stared at each other for a moment. Then she came in, sat on the mattress and started pulling off her boots. You're back then, she said. Bryce closed the book. You sold the house, he said. He moved away from the desk and knocked into a box of clothes. He pulled out the chair and sat in it, rubbing his fingers into the corners of his eyes. When their parents died, Kenza had taken over the place. Bryce had already gone. He remembered the day she'd moved back into the bungalow. It was the last time he'd been here. I saved your share, Kenza said, of the money. She got up, opened one of the cupboards, closed it, then opened it again. She brought out a few tins, emptied one into the pan and lit the flame. Are you hungry? She seemed smaller somehow. There was a stoop to the top of her back. She kept running her hand through her hair, which she'd cut short. There were the same three hoops in each ear. She was past 40. He could hardly believe it. Christ, he was almost 40 himself. He felt too big for the space. He was suddenly aware of how bulky he'd let his waist get, the extra weight around his hips. There was still the same wiriness about Kenza, or maybe rigidity, like she was holding herself away from something. I just need a few days, he said, gesturing to his bag, maybe a week. There was nowhere else he could go. A few things hadn't worked out, a few things needed waiting out, and then they'd be okay again, like a piece of glass battered into smoothness by time and the sea. Kenza stirred the pan. A bean's all right, she asked. She'd never liked beans, and neither had Bryce. It was the way the skins peeled off and crumbled. As kids, they'd gone round to an aunt's for dinner and fed them to the dog under the table. He leaned back in the chair and it cracked softly. Yeah, he said. Sounds good.
0: So I've been talking to Lucy Wood. We've been talking about her latest collection of short stories, The Sing of the Shore, which is out now from Forthy State. Lucy, thank you so much for coming in and telling me about it.
1: Thank you, it's been great.